G'day guys, it's Joey Gibbs here, coming to you from sunny Iceland. Australian footballer who, uh, yeah, currently plying his trade in Iceland. Um, yeah, it was great to have a chat to Harper on the Where Do We Begin podcast and hope you all enjoy it. I remember doing the team song and all that too, because it was the debut trip. Yeah, yeah. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. John Alwissi said, that's a horrible. <laughs> Poor bloke. Joey Gibbs here from sunny Iceland. My milkshake brings all the boys to the yard. Kevin Musket said, I can't say the words on this show, I don't think. Don't touch the ball, you little C word. Ah, oh, thanks for that, Joey. And it is just me, just Harper. Like Joey mentioned, there's no Lockie today because originally this interview was just meant to be for a piece of writing, but the story just just grabbed me and did not let go. So decided to bring it to you guys, bring it to the podcast audience because it's an absolute cracker. And you may or may not have heard this of this guy, Joey Gibbs. I don't blame you if you haven't heard of him. He does fly under the radar, even for many, many Australian football fans. He is currently playing in Iceland in the first division for a team called Keflavik. Uh, he has played a few for a few A-League teams, for a few kind of second-tier NPL, uh, it's called, Australian teams. Youngest player ever to play in an A-League grand final when he debuted in that game. And there are some pretty amazing stories of what he's went through that season and what he's been through throughout his whole career. As I said, this story really pulled me in and has just not let go of me ever since. So hope it does the same for you. Hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you, thank you, thank you for tuning in. And I won't let you wait any longer. Here he is. Joey, mate, thank you very, very much for joining me on the show uh, this evening. Your time. Really appreciate you coming on. Yeah, pleasure, mate. Good to be on. Um, yeah. Lovely. Lo- love to hear that. I'm very, very excited for it. Now, you're in Iceland, obviously, as people would have figured out from the intro and things like that. So when you're up there in Keflavik or wherever you are in Iceland, you tell someone you're from Gosford. Anyone got any idea where that is? <laughs> yeah, usually I just uh, round it up to Sydney. They don't. They wouldn't <laughs> have a clue where Gosford is, but... Um, yeah, yeah. No, they, uh, everyone's always pretty uh, surprised when you say you're from Australia here because, um, yeah, I don't think you get further away from – like two countries couldn't really get further away from each other on the map. So it's always uh, quite uh, – yeah, quite rare for them. Yeah, and obviously kind of Gosford is, I guess, rugby league heartland area. So early days of Joey Gibbs, what was the thing about football that really, really pulled you in, really got you hooked? Yeah, um, yeah. My earliest memories of football, I think, because uh, I have two other brothers, and um, my uh, my dad played rugby league. Um, my oldest brother played rugby league, and um, but then my middle brother, because I'm the youngest, played a lot of football and was quite good. And yeah, that's that's all we did. We we all my memories of being young were were going for kicks with him, and um, obviously, uh, you know the the local football on the Saturday playing for Gosford city dragons. And, um, you know, I think my motivation was the lolly bag after the game like that. <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> genuine there. So, <laughs> but, uh, obviously the love developed and, um, yeah, and that's, that's how it all started. You're a Liverpool fan now, uh, as we worked out pre-show, did you, um, were you a Liverpool fan when you were a kid or has that been more of a recent thing? Yeah. 
I guess, um, yeah, it's it kind of develops. You know, I, I wouldn't say I'm a, a absolute diehard. You know, obviously not being from Liverpool, it's always a uh, you know hard to be because we had a boy from Liverpool in our team this year. You know, um, but uh, yeah, I uh, I think I followed I followed Leeds in the early days when Harry Kuehl and, and Mark Duke were there. Um, right. But then I think I, I started obviously when they dropped out. I think I started uh, jumping on Liverpool and yeah. Ever since then, um, I've yeah I've followed Liverpool. Oh yeah, uh, lovely. And you, you mentioned your brother there. Uh, you kind of getting into the game because of him. Uh, has he turned out to be much in the sport? Has he kind of continued his football journey like you have? Um, yeah, well, my brother, my middle brother. Um, he had a he. Yeah, he was a promising player. He. He um oh he played all the representative teams and played a uh, MPL level um but it, uh, unfortunately for him he was just in that generation I think that got that got skipped unfortunately with the whole transition from NSL to A League you know he was a little bit older than me and you know I think his timing just wasn't as as lucky as mine you know <laughs> unfortunately like um you know there was that transition where. They had the the boys who were at a certain age were getting picked for the youth teams, but he was just a little too old. But yeah, so he was in that um, yeah in that generation, and and uh, and it gave it away, unfortunately, um, which I think a lot of people in that era did, or not era that generation did. So yeah, but he had a lot of talent, and he was a yeah he was a striker as well. Yeah, real real shame about that. What's your brother's name? Uh, Tom. Tom, well, big hello to Tom. Yeah, he'd love a shout-out, actually, after yeah. to watch it. Yeah, he'd love it. <laughs> well, hello, Tom. Uh, but oh, you played a bit of uh, kind of junior football, obviously, for the local clubs and things like that. But once you're getting to A-League level, did you kind of tread the, I suppose, well-trodden path of Sydney FC Academy to Sydney FC first team? Was that the route you took? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think um, – I uh, yeah went through the Sydney FC youth team. I think I started off as a as a trialist in the youth team or a train on. I think it was and um, and yeah, then I, I got my opportunity from there. And I, I, it actually all happened pretty quick for me. I think um, I ended up getting an appearance in that the grand final of my first year in the youth team. Um, I think that was the when they played Melbourne Victory, and it went to penalties. I think it was 2010. I think it was 2010. But um, yeah, it all happened very quickly. Actually, that first appearance. Um, so yeah, always it's a lovely memory to have in my in my head, and a great way to make a debut. Oh, mate, great way to make a debut indeed in front of I'm not. I think it was forty five thousand people there at uh, Telstra. Maybe it was called in 2010. But yeah. h- how are you feeling yeah. d- during the bench or uh, on the bench during the game uh, in that game? Mm. Like ne- never. Got on the field before for the senior team, and there you are in front of fifty thousand, forty five thousand people. Maybe about to come on in a grand final. Yeah, it was. It was. I actually look back on it with really fond memories, and I remember. I just remember being really excited, which you know, I think um, you know, is a really great way to be as a young player or as a, as a player at any any stage of their career. You know, I think um, I had a lot of good senior professionals around me in that team. I, I remember there was, I think there was Popovic, Caden Fox, um, there was the John Aloisi's and Steve Corrickers. I think, I think Aloisi and Corrick were injured, but they're all there on the, obviously the grand final trip. And, and yeah, it was obviously, it was a big moment for the club. And, and, um, but yeah, obviously a lot of senior heads and, and, um, really good professionals around who just, yeah, like kind of, uh, 
yeah, just their aura kind of settled you down and, and um, yeah, I just felt excited for it, you know. Um, I remember doing the team song and all that too because it was the debut trip. So doing that at dinner the night before, but um, yeah, it was it was good fun. <laughs> What's the team song? Oh, it was embarrassing. I think it was, um, I think it was Milkshake by Kellis, the Milkshake. Oh, all right. Boise, uh, that one. Yeah, I, I don't know. What, <laughs> I think I was coerced into it because I wouldn't have chosen that. <laughs> I don't know why I did that one. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. But um, had you close, come too close to singing that team song and uh, getting your first team debut earlier in the season or was it really sudden uh, that you are on the bench in the grand final? Yeah, it was actually a really um, probably the most interesting year of my career to be honest because I started that youth league season with double stress fractures. I had um, – I was in a wheelchair for six weeks, you know. I, I was – it was actually, it's a crazy story. It was, um, yeah, because I, I finished the MPL season with Manly. I think I was at Manly. Um, and I, uh, yeah, had literally double stress fractures, couldn't wait bear for six weeks and was in a wheelchair and then slowly got back into it. Um, and then it all just happened, um, which was, yeah, really, because uh, I only had maybe five or six youth team games under my belt before that uh, opportunity arose as well. So um, it all happened very quick. What's life like in a wheelchair for six weeks? <laughs> well, pretty sad, you know. I think it was, yeah, it was hard getting upstairs, you know. You got to crawl up them and <laughs> that was, a, <laughs> yeah, it was um, funny times. It was, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it was a lot of time off school, which was good though, so. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Love that. <laughs> How old are you then? Like 18 or something? I mean, you want to be uh, out there living your best like, life. Oh, was... oh, 17. But yeah, you want to be yeah. out there living your best life, going out with mates. It's a bit tricky when there's uh, not much accessibility. Yeah, mate. Yeah, it was tough. It was tough. It was, um... But yeah, no, I was actually, uh, it was a good like um, kind of, uh, I don't know, like introduction to, I guess, my career, you know, kind of. But that's the worst injury I've ever had. And then one of the biggest moments I've ever had all happened in space of six months, seven months. So um, it kind of, I think it, it set me up pretty well for what football can, can throw at you. So um, all professional sport. So I think, uh, yeah, I think it made me a little bit oh, more grateful for the game and more grateful for just being able to walk, I guess, <laughs> you know, but obviously it's not like I go around now just thinking, oh, it's so great to walk. It, it fades pretty quickly, but um, yeah, it's good to have that memory in the back of your head that injury can kind of strike at any time. So, you know, you got to enjoy it while you can. Yeah, really kind of good lesson for gratitude and things like that, I reckon. But when, when you got on the park there in the last three, four minutes, how'd you go? Did you get a touch? How, how'd you rate your performance? Yeah, um, I got I got a touch or two of it. I actually have a real good memory of. I think <laughs> I can't say the words on this show. I don't think, but uh, I think. Oh Kevin no, Musk you can say what to... you want. You can say what. You want. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think I, I went to touch the ball, and, and Kevin Musket said, um, <laughs> like, "Don't touch the ball, you little c word." You know, like. Um, but it was <laughs> it was just the the game, I guess, and it was a uh, yeah. But no, nah, again, great experience, and it was. Yeah, I get that's how it is on the football field. But um, but yeah, was, I got a few touches, and we obviously won the penalty shootout that uh that day. So yeah, it was it was good memories. Tell me about Joey Gibbs at nightclub post game. Yeah, well, that was the first time I've been in a club because I was just turned seventeen. So um, yeah, got in the VIP line, which was nice. First night out too, so it was a yeah, it was obviously not allowed in the club to eighteen. So 
Um, yeah, it was it was <laughs> it was a good night. <laughs> Many particular memories from that night that you care to share? <laughs> nah, to be honest, I think um, I uh, I behaved to be honest because I knew I was the young one, and uh, I think it was Steve Corrick was the East Team coach next year, and he was uh, he was there, so <laughs> had to be on the. <laughs> And I don't think I could be celebrating too hard with with ten minutes under my belt. So um, yeah, it was a uh, but still no amazing experience. Yeah, yeah, uh, that's fair enough. But a few months later, you were gone from Sydney. So why was that? Yeah, it was um, yeah, it was a funny one. Like again, it was probably like uh, if I look back on it, it, it all had the right intentions. The move because I actually moved to a Belgian team, um, which was in the lower divisions, but. It was the idea. It was to um, be there and and be in Bel- uh, be in Belgium for four years to get the Euro passport, which would make moves across Europe a lot easier. And and um, and oh yeah, it was a fully professional contract. And yeah, like uh, I look back on it, if the same opportunity arose at the same age, I'd probably say yes again. It's just that uh, it all fell through. Uh, just the club didn't ran into financial trouble and I didn't get paid for about three or four months. Um, so I had to come back home, literally had to come back home and, um, and start all again. Yeah. So, uh, that's, yeah. Then yeah. So that's, that's what happened. It was, it was a, yeah, it was a funny turn of fate, but, um, yeah. Yeah. Well, we're not an economics podcast or anything, but what happened at Olympic yeah. Charleroi? I think it is like, why'd they get into yeah. so much trouble? Yeah, I'm really not sure. Like, I, I look back on it, and uh, I was a interesting uh, kind of a thing that because there was a lot of um, like big agents have come together to buy a club, and they wanted to bring this club up as a feeder club for bigger teams in Europe. So obviously, clubs gain transfer fees, and um, there was a lot of good footballers there, you know, because there was all these big agents in in football that brought players there, and the team was doing really well but then I don't know all it takes is a few investors not to pull through with the money that was supposed to come in and yeah we we got one salary and then the rest just didn't come through so um yeah it's <laughs> that's all I know of it yeah right there you go but when you were over there how you kind of how'd you fare with the level of things were you uh one of the kind of better players in the Belgian third division squad or was it still a bit of a challenge to kind of um, get get yourself right in there and get amongst it? Yeah, well, I remember there was um, there was like uh, so there was an experienced striker there who was who was a French guy and um, like it's a long time ago now. I'm trying to think back on it, but I think um, it was only very early days. There was there was there wasn't many football games played because uh, it was in preseason. I went over there and. I think the season had just started and that was, you know, a few months in. So the whole thing was just going off then with no one getting salary. So, um, yeah, but I remember I, I still, I found it a big, a big shock. Obviously I didn't, I didn't coming from Sydney FC where, you know, to be honest, the level of um, professionalism in the A-League is very good. And the level of facility is, is good compared to these other European, like not the top European countries, but the other European countries, especially in those divisions, the lower ones. So it was a bit of a shock going back down to that that level of things where it's not that professional. But um, there's yeah, there was a lot of talent there, that's for sure. And uh, and um, yeah, and again, never really settled. Was in a hotel for about five six months. <laughs> um, 
Yeah, uh, which I don't know how the club ever paid for because they didn't pay us. So I'm not, oh, they're probably still asking for the debt. But um, <laughs> yeah, it was uh, yeah, it was it was an interesting experience. You know, I think it. Yeah, I look back and it wasn't great football wise, but it was good as a as a human. You know, going over there and uh, fairing yourself. You know, or finding your way in a foreign country with with no salary. But um, yeah, it was a yeah, it was a memory. Any any particular lessons that you learned as a human uh, when you were there <laughs> that you still kind of use now? No, well, I thought uh, obviously, I don't know when when everything was all bad. You uh, you know you 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 still try and find ways to to get on with things. You know, like, I, don't know, I just remember obviously um, we we stopped training and there was nothing to do, and we obviously I got along well with a few of the other foreign boys there. You know, I think it was an English boy, and you know we we just tried to enjoy ourselves as much as we could while we're there, you know what I mean? Like, and, and find the, 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 the small joys in, in what we had, you know, like you're in, you're in Belgium, a new country that you might never see again. So we, we, you know, we traveled and, and had a, had a good time, you know, had a, had a few drinks every now and then as well. So, yeah. Yeah. Well, I imagine the typical Belgian third division team, their scouting network doesn't usually kind of reach out to Australia. So do you know, do you know how they found you? Yeah, well, it was, the, again, like how the, the club was, a, it is interesting. It's not, it doesn't happen every day. It was a, so the club was bought out by, you know, kind of like four or five agents and one agent was an Australian one, obviously. So um, he brought his two or three players along that he thought would be able to sell on to future clubs. And obviously the other agents did the same. So uh, that's kind of how it worked. Yeah. So at this point, when you're when you're over there in Europe and everything's kind of looking rosy uh, at, at the start, I guess what what are your career goals? What are you looking to achieve in your career at this stage? Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. When you, I think when you when I was that age, you obviously um, not that you don't stop dreaming, but yeah, that when you're nineteen, eighteen, you think anything can happen, and, and it can. Anything can happen. So full of optimism and full of. Um, like wow, this is the this is big. It's gonna, you know, it's all gonna happen and it's all gonna go smoothly. But um, obviously, yeah, your path goes up and down and winds around and um, goes all different directions. But yeah, I obviously went there very optimistic and came back a little bit less optimistic. That's for sure, you know, because um, I think I, when I came back, I came back to um, the MPL and then had to start back again in the Sydney youth team and new boys had come in and, and done well and gotten first team spots. So I had to, yeah, literally you had to start all again and they weren't happy obviously about a player leaving and coming back. So it was, yeah, you had to gain the reputation back again. Yeah. Jeez. That must be really tricky. Are you feeling kind of, I know you said you don't regret it at this stage, but at that stage were you feeling like you regret, you regretted it at all? And what, what were your feelings at that time? Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think at that stage of my career when, when that had happened, I think, you know, obviously you're like, wow, like how can this happen to me? It was all going to, it was all meant to go smoothly and, um, and go well. But, you know, I think um, I just, you know, as a footballer, whether you're doing well or doing poorly, you just, you know, the, the fundamentals of, oh, the fundamentals of everything is just to keep playing and keep improving. So, you know, obviously you might feel uh, less optimistic or um, less confident at times, but you, at the end of the day, you, you're going and playing in a game which 
you got to do well anyway every week in, week out. So I think I just went back to the basics and went back into the MPL. And I think I was in, you know, still I was 19 years old playing first grade at MPL level. It wasn't the worst thing, worst place you could be at all, you know. Um, still had a lot of eyes on you. All this is a future talent, blah, blah, blah. So, um, uh, yeah, I think I just kind of uh, the expectations obviously lowered, but um, just went back to focusing on the game. Yeah, and I should just say to the listeners who aren't quite as uh, au fait with football, the NPL is kind of the uh, state league's second tier in Australia, I suppose, and you spend a couple of years mm. plugging away there uh, upon your return from Belgium. And uh, I know you signed for the Wanderers after that, but just before you signed for the Wanderers, what are your what are your kind of career goals, aspirations looking like then? Are they the same as what they were in Belgium, or a bit bit less? Um, well, I think my just my next my whole goal was just to try and get into the A League set up again. You know, I think um, uh, I was. Oh, it's funny at 19, 20, I was well, at nineteen. I think it was. I was. I was feeling like I was getting old, which um, for some reason. Australia makes you feel like that. Uh, and, and young players in general now think at 19, 20, 21, they're old, but wow, you're not at all. Like, um, it's just that Australia has obviously, you know, they, if you're 20, 21, an A League club tends, oh, back in that day, I felt like, well, I guess my feeling was that they, they wouldn't touch you. You're too old at that age, which just totally isn't true. You know, you, I don't think I developed as a footballer till I was, you know, I, I still don't think I've hit my peak at, and I'm turning 30 next year, you know, like I really don't. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I guess at that stage it was all about just trying to uh, show my form in the MPL to be able to give myself an opportunity for even a trial in the A-League. Um, yeah, which which I think by that I'd moved from Manly to Marconi and which was a bigger club in the MPL setups and had a good season and, um, yeah, ended up getting signed, I think, as, yeah, as a, the last Western Sydney Wanderer for that inaugural season. Yeah, that's awesome. And it was a cracking season for the Wanderers. But before we get in onto that, how, how are you treated by your uh, like peers and I guess the coaches and stuff as well? Uh, when you, you're still young guys, we spoke about, but perhaps you may be a bit more mature, having gone overseas. But obviously, your overseas didn't your first one didn't really go to plan. So, are, are you treated differently to the rest of the people? Or are you just kind of yeah, one of the rest of them. Um. Yeah, I think um, I, I remember when I was in that Marconi squad, it was full of, again, it was, it was quite an old squad and I was one of the only young players who was in that starting 11. And, um, yeah, I think at a football level, like they, um, if you're producing on the pitch, you instantly have respect from the group no matter what you had done previously or anything. It's just all what you do on the pitch. And I think I, I was performing that year and, and – and they were all, um, all people I knew because a lot of them were from Manly because I think there was a big switch from a few Manly boys to that Marconi squad. And and again, yeah, there were a lot of, uh, you know, players in their 30s who were like, uh, yeah, a good guidance for me in a way, being a young player as well. So I think, again, it's kind of like that establishment of my ex- early experiences, um, you know, whether it be the senior players at Sydney FC or the senior players in that Marconi squad kind of steered me in the right I don't know, mental direction in a way to make me be able to perform and produce and 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 do what I did in those seasons. Cause you see a lot of young players get sidetracked really quickly and their eyes are taken away from that the thing that's most important, which is performing on the pitch. And um and yeah, I think that served me really well, you know, it was it was yeah, a good older change room, but um they uh 
yeah, they treat me with respect and as one of them. And yeah, it was really good. Yeah. And I'm getting back onto Western Sydney now, signing for the Wanderers, the last player of the first season, like you said. And obviously it was a bit of a, uh, well, not quite obviously for people who don't know it as well, but a bit of a golden season for the Wanderers there in their first season. I think they won the premiership. Didn't quite happen in the final, so didn't get that grand final win. But what was the atmosphere like at the club in that first season? must have just been, uh, well, was it surprised at how good you were all going? Um, I guess if you uh, if you weren't in the vi- in environment, yeah, you would be, but it was um, – yeah, within the environment, it was just uh, yeah, it was it was an unbelievable level of professionalism. It's still probably the most professional setup I've ever been involved in, and the most demanding. Um, it was just uh, yeah, I think the the level at which I think because Tony Popovic was the the coach at the time, and um, he had a lot of great support staff there as well. You know, I think it was Ante Milicic was the assistant, and um, Adam Watterson was the SNC coach. Who they've all gone on to bigger and better things, you know. Um, but yeah, it was just uh, yeah. He they got in that first year. They got so much out of every player. I think every player was so much closer to their potential than they were in previous seasons. So, and you could see why if if you were in, within the environment, it was just the the level of motivation, the the level of detail, and everything was um, yeah was was the most I've ever been involved in. Still, so I think uh, yeah, it's it's not a surprise um, looking back on it, but. Yeah, it was just uh, yeah, it was it was a pretty incredible season. What's Tony Popovich like as a coach? Yeah, no, I think there's obviously a lot of uh, mixed opinions about, it, but I really, you know, I really respected him, and I really, uh, you know, I found his way of of working with his players really good for me, and I'm sure he's developed since I was there at that time, you know, because he's been coaching for you know years years now after that, um, but. Yeah, no, it was just the level of detail and his his, his uh, commitment to the club and to the team. You could tell he was the first in every morning and the last to leave. So, um, yeah, like uh, as a player, you respect that from a coach because I've had coaches who who don't do that. So as a as a player, you lose that respect for the coach and you lose that kind of like, well, what are you giving to us players if you're not giving your all? So, um, but yeah, yeah, he was uh, yeah a, a very good coach. How did he handle like, playing thirteen games? It's uh, in in your first season there. It's not not too bad at all. But then you you left the club after that first season. How, how did he handle it? And how how did you handle uh, that departure? Yeah, it was. Um, yeah, I remember that, uh, I was on a one year contract, and um, I was a little bit, you know, obviously towards the end of the season, I, I kind of wanted to know what was happening, um, which is normal for any player, and. Um, yeah, the club obviously, you know, they decided to let me go, but, um, it was with the kind of recommendation to another club. So I think I obviously went to Newcastle after that, but, uh, yeah, it was, it was a funny one. You know, I think obviously I still have respect for Hopper and it was just a a decision that he preferred another striker. Um, but yeah, I I was disappointed to leave because I thought, I was only starting, you know, I was only beginning. And I look at, I look back at that year as a player and, and how, how it happened. It was my first year in a professional proper environment playing. And I, I, I look back at photos of what I was like then. And I was, 
you know, I think I was 74 kilos and I looked sick, you know, I like, I, I wasn't, I, I, there was too much, there was too much load and it was too much. I, I feel like if I approached it as I approach it now, like I would have been a different. So if I had two or three more years there, I think, uh, you know, it would have been, uh, it would have been nice to see what happened, you know, but, um, but yeah, that, that was, yeah, uh, the club's decision. So it was, um, yeah, it was, it was disappointing, but that's, yeah, that's how it, how it happened. So if you were to approach that as you would approach it now, what, what does that approach look like? What, what changes? I think just being a little bit more, um, I don't know. I think I was, I was so, uh, like happy to be there and so like, um, stressed on doing everything right and, you know, I could have relaxed and enjoyed it a little bit more and uh, expressed myself as a footballer a little bit more. I think I was too busy trying to, you know, win every fitness test and get all the running done instead of just going out and showing what I can do as a player and a striker and going out and enjoying myself at times and being a bit more relaxed about things. I think that actually helps a lot to your game if you're a little bit more, um, what's the word, uh, a little bit more... Uh, complete as a whole, you know. I think I was just a little bit too. Uh, I wasn't. I wouldn't say stressed about it all, but just overly uptight about it. I think I could have, you know. But it was my first year as a professional footballer, and I was so happy to get that opportunity. So I think um, I can understand why I was like that. And I think a lot of young players will go through that too. But you know, I think it takes a few years at that level to be able to be like, oh, okay, you know, go out and do your thing and trust that you can do it, you know. I think, um, yeah, that would have been, uh, that would have been, that would have helped. Yeah, right. Now, after that, few few appearances for Newcastle, few appearances in the NPL again, but then few appearances in Hong Kong. Well, tell me about Hong Kong. <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a funny time, I guess. It was like, uh, obviously, Newcastle was a bit disappointing. I think um, I went there with, you know, quite a few expectations to, get a bit more opportunity, but, um, you know, I think oh, Adam Taker was there, top goal scorer that year, and Heskey was there. And I think um, Michael Bridges was there and <laughs> Joel Griffiths was there. So, and they were all brought in after me. So I was like, well, how am I going to get my opportunity here? So, um, and then uh, to be honest, I think I was, I was going to get a new contract. Then, then Ben Egmont, I think he, I think he got sacked and the club obviously brought in a new coach. So, it was, um, yeah, again, it was just poor timing of things. But, um, again, dropped out of the A-League, which was disappointing. And, um, yeah, then went off to, kind of went off to Hong Kong, I think it was. I think I had a little brief stint in the NPL because there was a few games left. But then, um, yeah, uh, went off to Hong Kong and um, probably learned how not to do a, a foreign move again. Um, but, yeah, so... Uh, uh, yeah, it probably wasn't the great greatest football experience, but again, it was a it was a good um, experience as a as a person. What went wrong in Hong Kong? No, it was just um, it was a it was a rushed move, and it was it was a move based on going to a club in order to get a transfer from that. So I think it was, I think I moved from. I moved to a team that had just got promoted from the Hong Kong second division. I was the first year in the top division for a while. Um, it was, yeah, it was just, 
it was a shambles to be honest. It was um, no one really spoke English and <laughs> it, yeah, it's hard to explain. It was just um, yeah, I, I I played every game, but it, it was we were just defending every it, we were just defending the whole time. So um, you know, I get you look at someone's CV and it says a striker, twelve appearances, one goal, but. I don't know what more I could have done because I probably touched the ball about six times. So it was a, yeah, you know, it's like obviously when you're making that move, you you got to kind of know where you're going and know what you're getting yourself into. But I didn't really do that. I was just desperate to get back into a professional setup. So you were like telling your agent that you want to get overseas and into a professional setup or were you uh, kind of doing it a bit yourself and putting yourself out there? Well, again, it was, a, yeah, like I, um, wasn't connected with any agent at that time. It was it was more through a mandate deal. So I was like, um, an agent had contacted me and said, "Do you want this opportunity?" And I was like, "Well, phew. you know, I'd I'd prefer an adventure rather than another season in the NPL." So I jumped on it, and yeah, and again, I like it. Actually, it worked out that I could go to the NPL season the next year because I was only there for six months. So um, yeah, it was a it was a short stint, but um. It was, uh, yeah, it kind of set me up well for Blacktown, to be honest, for the next yeah. season after that. Mm. Yeah, totally. And we'll, we'll get on to Blacktown in a sec. But I, I do want to go back to Newcastle because you mentioned uh, that Joel Griffiths and Emil Heskey and some other attackers and other strikers got signed after you. What's that feel like? I, I don't want to put words in your mouth here at all, but does that feel like mm. kind of betrayal at all from uh, the, the higher-ups at Newcastle that, uh, maybe you were promised one thing and given another? Oh, no, not really. I think I, uh, well, Heskey was there already. Um, it was more, I think it was, um, when the club is, I don't think, I think the club were performing a little bit below expectation. Like, I don't think they, were, they weren't having a horrible season. They were just, they were expected to make finals and I think they were sitting in seventh, eighth most of the year and I think the club obviously wanted to, um, I wanted them to be in the finals. So I think, you know, and usually the the players that clubs sign to make a big difference are, are strikers and attackers, you know, so they they invest in that. And, um, and yeah, it was, yeah, I, I think, you know, it's totally normal for that to happen. It was just, I, don't know, I just feel I wish, I guess every player in, in my position would feel the same thing, though. You know, I just would have liked to have had a bit more opportunity. Um, but then again, maybe I... You know, that's my opinion. Maybe I wasn't showing enough on the training pitch as well. You know, it's uh, it's a, a matter of opinion, the game. But, um, you know, I guess it was a little bit disappointing being involved in the team who had won the premiership the year before and then going to a team who was obviously mid-table, lower table, and then not even getting a look in. You know, it was, it was quite frustrating, you know, to be honest. Yeah, right. And I promised a bit of... Blacktown talk. I'll get onto that now. You won, you won the whole thing, uh, the whole NPL with them in 2015. Scored a couple of goals in the grand final as well uh, against Bayswater, yeah. I think, in, in WA. So you're obviously a more experienced player now, obviously fully part of the setup. I think you were right up there in terms of the top goal scorers in the league. Man of the match in the grand final, I think, as well. How does that stack up to winning the A-League really early on in your career as Oh, yeah, bit part player might even be a bit of an overstatement. Getting four minutes in the season. Yeah, no, I think um, oh, some of my memories at Blacktown are the, my best footballing memories. You know, I think, and I've got uh, you know, some of the boys that are still playing there are, are real good mates of mine. You know, like 
real, real good mates. And I have, um, yeah, they're, they're all some of my best footballing, footballing memories. You know, when I, when I go back to Australia, I, uh, I go to Blacktown to train, even though I'm living on the Central Coast. So, um, and I'll, I'm hoping to do that again this off season when I get home, I'll probably try and hook up with the boys again and, uh, and, and train and do my off season training there. Cause, um, yeah, I really enjoy it and it's a good, good level, good standard. Um, but yeah, no, I, I, uh, I really feel like I just playing regular football in a, you know, a, a strong MPL team with a, a good culture and, you know, I, um, some good leadership from the coach and, and the players. It was, yeah, it was, it was real good five years. I think it was, you know, that's the reason I stayed so long because it was, uh, a real good environment to be in, you know, and real successful. Did, did you have opportunities to go elsewhere during your five-year stint there? Um, well, little little sniffs every now and then, you know, but um, there was nothing too serious, nothing too big that was – or there's always, like, different parts of Asia that are looming, you know, like a, maybe like a, a Thailandy or a Cambodia type of thing, which aren't really that um, – you know, you, you've got to kind of think about it and be like, well, okay, what, what's the club? What level is it? You know, because there's some really good opportunities in those areas, but there's some really bad ones as well. But nothing really came up that was that was worth pursuing in my opinion. So I um, – and, yeah, and obviously I was, yeah, part of a successful club and playing with people I really enjoyed. And, yeah, so it was – that's why I stayed. So, like, some opportunities come up here and there. Do you reckon a – Younger Joey or a Joey who hadn't been burnt by his last top, last couple of times overseas, do you reckon he takes a kind of opportunity he doesn't know too much about, might not be great in a Thailand or a Cambodia or wherever it may be? Um, no, not really to be honest because I think I always, you know, it never really um, made me less likely to make another move. I, uh, I always uh, – I, I think from those experiences I just – I learned – to make uh, not to what's the word? Uh, I just learned um, what not to do. Not it never stopped me from. Um, I guess uh, you know it never made me disregard a decision at all. I just made me think about it a little bit more, you know, um, which I think is is good. You know, you like uh, there's there's a lot that can go wrong. There's a lot that can go right. But um, I think no, I, I just remember nothing really coming up that was worth it. You know, which is important. I, I don't, you don't want to. Force a move like I think I did with Hong Kong. I should. I, it was a bit forced, um, and I think the Belgian one was just unlucky. Um, but yeah, I think I just got a little bit more wiser with it. Yeah. Right. Okay. And just back on Blacktown for a sec. Uh, as much as we'd love it to be banging in goals for Blacktown in the NPL, probably uh, doesn't make a man a decent living, does it? Yeah. It's. Um it's a well, you're obviously semi-professional at that level, you know. Like, but I remember I was I was actually studying, and you know, with the, you know, with the with so it was enough to get by. Um, obviously, in summer you have to you have to find another way to to get a bit of money. But um, it was all um, it was all okay in the winter period. You know, it was it was uh, it actually worked out quite well. Um, but yeah, like um, oh, it's. The hardest thing about the MPL is I think there's good standard of players. It's just sometimes you don't get the the crowds the at- and the atmospheres which you'd like. You know, I think sometimes it's a little bit bit quiet. You know, there's not 
enough people watching games, which is the the, the most, uh, I guess, underwhelming thing about the NPL for me. That was always the problem. Yeah, right. Okay, and I think uh, it, yeah, it's, uh, probably reasonable to say if it, people want to get out there and support their local NPL yeah, team, yeah, it's well, definitely definitely a worthwhile thing to do. Because um, yeah, yeah, real good footballers out there. You know, that's the thing. It's never the football. This I thought was. Uh, the problem was just it would be nice to see more support there, you know, or more um, engagement in it all. Yeah, and I think from from the big games, uh, the games that do draw big crowds, perhaps like a rivalry or FFA Cup game or anything like that, we know it can be – you can have some cracking atmospheres there when the crowds come. It's just about the crowds mm. coming, really. Uh, but yeah, you, you mentioned exactly, yeah. you were studying there and working uh, jobs in the off-season. So what were you studying and – what, what were you working as? Yeah, um, I uh, I was I studied uh, I did my bachelor of exercise sports science, um, uh, and now I actually just finished my master of teaching. Actually, I was doing it while I was over here as well. Um, so I've got those two on When it comes to work, I've done a bit of everything. Usually in the summer, I would be, you know, I think I've I've gone from I've been doing coaching to a bit of factory work to a bit of. Uh, um, even working at a local sports store, things like that. So I've done a bit of everything because it always came around in summer. You had to find a little bit of work and find a way to make a bit of money. So it was usually what you could find. So it, what's the uh, professionalism of the competition like in Iceland? Uh, well, I think um, it's kind of like maybe half the squad's Paid enough to go up, paid enough to um, get by on, especially all the foreigners are, and then kind of the other half of the squad um, doesn't get paid that much, to be honest. Um, but the majority of players do work and play still, you know, even in the top teams that are playing Champions League playoffs. It's an interesting culture, like, um, but they're all very uh, nothing job, or not, that's the wrong word. They're all very easy jobs if they're doing anything. It's like, sitting at a car rental for three hours or something like that, you know, it's all pretty relaxed. But um, it's just their culture to kind of train in the afternoon. So, they'll, yeah, they, they, there's not much training in the morning like you'd see in an A-League setup and and that, you know, it's, it tends to occur around 2 or 3 p.m. where, you know, so boys can study or can have a, a part-time job in the morning. Yeah, right. Okay. And I guess the obvious question here is how does an MPL player who's banging in the goals for Blacktown, how does he end up in Iceland? Yeah, it was, um, I, I, yeah, I was surprised at how, how quickly the move went. Um, I think it was, it was a connection between our coach at the time, our coach who is now who I think he um, he knew one of my previous coaches in Australia because I think he went for a he was close to getting a technical director job with the FFA. And I think um, there was just a connection there where obviously a, a coach was looking for a striker and um, he'd seen, obviously an agent had sent my name through and um, and he obviously saw the referral, saw the, the two names or clubs of a previous coach that he knows and, and got a good recommendation. And it all happened like that. It was really quick and um, which is usually rare, obviously, if you're coming from an MPL setup to – you know, anywhere in Europe or even sometimes Asia, there's you have to trial or you have to do something like that. But it was just a straight out contract, so it all um, it all happened really quick. Did you move over there with your partner? Is that right? 
No, no, I um, she's over now. She's just in the next room. She finally got over with coping and all that, but um, not initially. I initially I just went over by myself, and then um, obviously that's when COVID and everything struck. Um, so, um, yeah, it was a uh, it was an interesting beginning here as well. Yeah, right. So you you're living alone, and is it uh. What's Keflavik like as a city? Is it kind of, I don't know, the stereotype of living in a bit of a shack or like you're living in a kind of full, the Joey Gibbs mansion? What's it like? Uh, it's definitely not a mansion, but I wouldn't call it a shack either. It's, it's like a small little um, nice, cosy studio apartment type of thing. It's actually quite, it's quite nice. Um, but the town itself is pretty quiet. It's actually the airport town. It's, well, everywhere in Iceland is pretty quiet. It's a small place, you know, but... um. It's uh yeah, it's, it it can get a little bit boring at times. Not gonna lie, but, um, the, oh, it's, it's a country where it's like the most unbelievable scenery you'll ever see. So, you know, if you get bored, just go drive your car for an hour or two, and you'll see, you know, a volcano and two geysers or something. So, yeah, you can always find a way to entertain yourself. Yeah, phenomenal. I think the I think the population is only like thirty thousand more than the central coast or something, which is just yeah, crazy. And they, yeah. they qualified for a World Cup, and uh, I think what was it? They got into the quarterfinals of the Euros or round of sixteen, one of quarterfinals, yeah. I think. Yeah, yeah, and they got like I don't know, like four levels of football. Like obviously not all professional at all, but you know, there's they've yeah, they love their football here, and yeah, they've um they do things quite well for. And they produce a lot of talent for the small population they have. Yeah, do you reckon Keflavik would be much chop in the A League? Um, well, it's I get asked this quite a bit actually. Like, what the standard is? Uh, I'd probably say like it's um, it's above the MPL level, um, but I don't think would would struggle in the A League. Um, A League is quite a high level, but I'm trying to think maybe one of the. Because we're obviously far from the best team in our competition. We just got promoted last year. Um, but probably one of the, the top teams in our competition would do quite well in the A-League. I think they'll be a good team. Um, but, um, yeah, I think it's kind of – Keflavik at the moment would probably – yeah, it would be struggling a bit in the A-League. But, um, yeah, it would be killing it in the NPL, I think. Yeah, right. Now, I've got I've got the top goal scorers from the Icelandic top division here. I've got my list here uh, from last season. We've got Nikolai Hansen, Hal Grimmer, Mars Steingrimson, Arnie Vilshamsen, uh, Saiva Atli Magnusson, Patrick Pedersen, Christian Steindorsen, Matthias Vilshamsen, Askai Sigurgeisen, Kjartan Finnbogason, Stephen Lennon, and Joey Gibbs. So uh, what makes Joey Gibbs, who is a uh, noticeable lack of the son at the end of his name there, I reckon, what makes him so prolific in Iceland? <laughs> yeah, well, fun fact, like uh, the their names come from like, um, so you get your dad's name and you put son on it. So that's why they're all got the sons on it. And uh, the girls get their mum's name plus, oh no, I think it's the dad's name plus the daughter on it or something like that. So yeah, but um, yeah, no, uh, no, I think last year, um, as in the year, in the when we're in the second division, you know, we're obviously a good team in that division, and I got a lot of well-worked team goals, and I was finishing, and a lot of um, yeah, like some would say easier goals. But I think this year was a bit of a different year. I think I uh, had to score different goals because we we're obviously on the back foot a lot, and um, a lot of goals from counter attacks or 
set pieces or, um, you know, like harder goals in my opinion. So I was, um, I was quite happy to, I think, I think I got 10 in the league or, and 14 all up. So I was, I was quite happy with that total to be honest, considering where we, we finished as a team. Um, and, and it was, yeah, it was, it was just a lot harder to score this year being one of the weaker teams in the league. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, <laughs> um, yeah, I think it was, yeah, uh, different, two different, very different years. It's hard to compare, you know, when you look at how the goals were scored, I guess. Yeah, right. But in terms of your, your skill set as a player, well, what, are, what are your real kind of uh, strengths? Um, I think, uh, I guess my, my strengths as a player, I think probably – Knowing my timing of movements and runs, especially in the box, um, like anticipating where that ball is going to go at times, you know. So it's just kind of uh, reading the game. Um, I think obviously my uh, my hold up play and stuff like that is is quite good as well. Um, and I, I never thought I was much of a header of the ball. But I've scored a few headers here, which is kind of rare. Like, but I, it's kind of like my trade here. I've scored a lot of headers, which I didn't really do in Australia. So. I don't know. Somehow that's developed. I'm not sure why, but it's um, not. I don't really go out practicing headers, but um, yeah, maybe it's just the delivery is 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 quite good or or something. But yeah, it's um, mm. Mm, right. Yeah, there you go. And uh, we, we were talking about the names before, and I've just had a look. If you were called uh, Joey Gibson, I'm, I'm not sure if you'd want to be called that because there is another Joey Gibson, and uh, he's. Uh, far right <laughs> political activist. So uh, oh, okay. I, don't, I don't know yeah, if you yeah, want yeah. to be associated with uh, political activists uh, too radical on either side of the spectrum. Yeah, really, hate on Twitter, maybe you never know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, since you've moved to Iceland, though, it's obviously uh, totally different lifestyle to living in Sydney or wherever it may be in Australia. Uh, super quiet, like you said. What do you reckon the most interesting thing you've learned is since you've been over there? Um, yeah, well, it's, it's been weird, you know, like I, I came over and then straight into an eight week lockdown before I even met the team. And I think I had one week training with the team and then straight into proper eight week isolation where you can't even do anything, you know? So it was, and then that whole season again was COVID break, COVID break. Um, you know, even if you wanted to go out and have dinner and maybe have a drink with the, with the team, it was like, um, Bars were shut at ten, and like all, all these weird things. So I've uh, kind of just started experiencing the real life in this year, to be honest. Like, um, but yeah, it's it's uh, it's a lovely place. You know, I think the capital Reykjavik's like a really nice town, like really beautiful in winter with like snow falling on the streets, like nice little coffee stores, and it's just yeah, like um, you wouldn't call it a city, but it's a big town and. Um, there, it's a it's a lovely culture, lovely people. Like, um, obviously, very harsh language. It's it's hard to kind of learn and, and uh, understand, but it's they all know English really well. So have you picked any of the Icelandic though. language up? Yeah, no, I know the food. You know, it's the it's the most important thing to learn. So I, I know the foods quite well. Like, um, you know, like there's kjot is meat, kuklinger uh, chicken, um, fishka fish. Uh, what else we got? Um, Alvexter, I think that's fruit or veggies, one of them, you know. <laughs> but breathe is bread. So, yeah, I know, I know a few things, you know, enough to get me by. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay, okay. Have you tried to uh, cook up any of the Icelandic cuisine in the 
Gibbs Household Kitchen or is it uh, <laughs> just kind of sticking to the Vegemite sandwich? Yeah, I do toast really well, so I just stick to toast. <laughs> but uh, no, I, uh, we've got a, like a team restaurant which sorts out the food pretty well, so I don't usually have to cook too much, which is which is good. Yeah. What, what, what kind of food do they sort you out with? Is it Icelandic food or what? what what's what is the <laughs> well, they do a lot of fish actually? here, you know. Yeah. Are yeah. they? Oh, well, it's oh, known for its fishing, so there's a lot of um, good fish here, and yeah, so I, I have a lot of fish, and um, they do like one of their oh, meat soup. Is a big one here. Um, sheep's head. Haven't tried that, but they love their sheep's head. <laughs> uh, yeah, so they yeah they eat some funny things. The aesthetics, but uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now we're we're coming to the end before we get to our little kind of fun thing. Got got a few more questions. They're kind of kind of deeper ones, maybe a bit uncharacteristic mm. for this show, but uh, that's what we have to wrap things up, I guess. So we were, yeah, we were talking yeah. about your kind of career goals at various stages of your career before, but at this stage now, what, what are your aspirations for the rest of your football career? Yeah. Um, no, like I was saying before on the show, I feel like I still um, not really at my peak yet. I feel like I can still give a lot more and it's, sometimes it's a bit limiting in the profession being, you know, 29 turning 30 because people see you as um, like you're on the on the down, you're, you're going to be downhill soon. But um, no, for me, I, I still obviously really ambitious and, you know, I'd, if possible, love to make a move to maybe a better Nordic country if possible, you know, maybe um, something like that. Um, that's kind of the ambition. And obviously while I'm at Keflavik, I'd, I'd want to be as successful as possible and, you know, um, try and do our best to win trophies and and um, at a personal level, you know, score goals. So that, that's the ambition. Do, do you reckon you can hit that target of maybe getting to another Scandinavian or Nordic country if you kind of keep at the form you're at, smashing them in at the moment? Yeah, potentially. I think, um, you know, I think it, all, it also all depends on um, uh, like uh, – transfer fees and whether you're on contract and things like that or not. So I think um, I've got another year on the contract, which means if it had to happen, it would be a transfer fee, which would make things a bit tougher because transfer fees aren't usually paid for older players at, at my level, you know, not, not the highest level, obviously, you know, but um, yeah, if I was in a free agent, so to speak, I think any, like it could definitely be possible, you know, so but I'll, we'll have to wait and see. It all depends on on the moment and the timing of things as well, you know. Yeah, and uh, another kind of deepish question: that throughout your whole life so far, you, you've probably had a few kind of pinch yourself moments being a professional footballer at various stages. Is there a particular story that, that you re- you reckon you might be telling your grandkids around the campfire? Ooh, yeah, well, to be honest, I think you know. I, I think my, the, the the craziest thing is that we've already gone over it. You know, it was just that whole debut um, with Sydney FC in a grand final, and I think you know if you were you know telling your grandkids, so to speak, I think it's it's quite a lovely story with a bit of meaning to it. Is the whole you know in that same year coming off uh, well having double stress fractures in both legs and being in a wheelchair, and then that happening too. So. I think that would be a nice little story to tell. And I still look back at that sometimes and, um, yeah, that's a good reminder of how quickly things can change, good or bad, in football. So, yeah, that's uh, there's probably a few more, but I'm trying to – can't really think of them right now. But that's the one that sticks out the most, you know. 
Yeah, yeah, totally. It's, I think it would stick out the most for just about any Australian footballer. But uh, another one, but in, I don't know, 50, 60 years' time where uh, you're, you're a bit older, a bit of an old man, uh, <laughs> what, what do you want to have achieved in life, I suppose? Yeah, you know, I think um, I uh, obviously uh, got my uh, degree in teaching and all that. I'm, I'm looking forward to... Obviously, I love football and love to stay involved in football, but I'm also looking forward to, uh, you know, like, um, you know, I know it sounds weird, but being able to be in a new profession and, and, and uh, you know, have have my own kids and be able to teach kids and things like that, I think, you know, I'd love to be um, someone who can, you know, obviously as a teacher, you teach the curriculum, but give good advice to kids and, um you know, just be a good role model as well. You know, it sounds a bit, you know, what's the word? A bit, you know, a bit, a bit funny. But I, I, I actually enjoy and would like to be that that older person who, um, you know, gives good advice and is a good role model and can tell a few good stories and and give some good advice to the younger generation. You know, that's I'm kind of a. I hope I'm that old man, not the uh, angry one who just complains about noise. You know, that's what I'm hoping. <laughs> yeah, no, you, you said it sounds funny, but it, it's actually re- really nice. Do you reckon you'd be the uh, the kind of fun PE teacher guy, obviously being a sports person now, or have you got a, I don't know, a hidden knowledge of physics or something that you haven't told <laughs> <Yeah>. me about? <laughs> no, well, uh, at least uh, I'm doing primary school, so I think uh, I'm all sweet with the content just. You know, sometimes <laughs> maths is a bit tricky, that primary school maths, but I think, uh, yeah, no, I think I'd be uh, – I think it's important to try and make kids enjoy school. Obviously, you make them do the right things as well, but, you know, I think I'd be pretty easy going and, and uh, yeah, not too chill, but I think I'd like to be, you know – have have a bit of fun with them as well. Yeah, well, I've had a lot of fun in this show, and we've got a got a final question before we get onto this uh, long-awaited now uh, final segment. <laughs> we ask it at the end of every every episode. Uh, life philosophy. Have you got a life philosophy quote, anything like that that you live by? Um, yeah, it's a no, that's an interesting. I actually, I um, I read. I've started reading a lot of the the kind of the the stoic philosophy type of thing, you know. So I, I kind of I have this book where it's like three hundred sixty five days, and there's a, a a different kind of message from an old stoic philosopher, you know, whether it's Marcus Aurelius or Seneca or something like that, you know. I think um, so. There's all these different little inputs of wisdom each day, but when it comes to me, um, I don't know. I, I guess I'm always trying to trying to live it to be honest but there's a an old um well not old but i listen to his podcast sometimes craig duncan and he has this thing called the deathbed scorecard it sounds a bit morbid but uh it just really appealed to me he it's like a kind of a more of a notion of looking at you know when you're on your deathbed what are the most important things that you'll uh you'll you'll be thinking about or what you'll be remembered for you know it's it's kind of quite broad in saying that but yeah, you know, it's like yeah, yeah. I don't think of it every day, but it's it's something I think it's kind of cool to to think about sometimes. You know, like uh, puts things in perspective, and you know, it's kind of a a way of rating what's most important for you right now and and in the future. You know. Yeah, that's that's a cracking answer, mate. We've just ticked over fifty-eight minutes, uh, so thank you very much for all the stories that you've told throughout this. But now, of course. Yeah the final segment where do we begin quiz we've got a special guest coming on so i will hit the music 
gets you very fired up, doesn't it? That uh, pre- pretty epic cruise music, I've got to say. Of course, we've got Joey here, but since uh, Lo- Lockie Gibbs, actually, m- maybe a distant cousin, isn't here uh, on this episode of the show, we've got Ooh, we've got a f- yeah. There you go. Uh, we've got a fill in um, for the quiz. He's from Kick360. He's a journalist, uh, fine young journalist, I've got to say. Patrick Bruschetto, how are you, Matt? Good, thanks very much, Harper. How are you? I'm very good, thanks. I'm very excited to have you on. Ready for a good quiz for you guys to lock horns. Should be an epic battle. You guys uh, ready to get into it or explain how, how it all runs? Sure. Sounds good. Okay. So, I've got five questions and they all kind of, they loosely link to Joey and his career, but it's not like what number did Joey wear for the Newcastle Jets or anything like that. It's, it's a bit, bit vague, a bit loose, uh, so should be a competitive clash. Five questions, like I said. Your name is your buzzer. And, uh, of course, we'll start with question one. Here we go. So, question one is the closest to the pin question. Joey, am I right in saying that your birthday is the 13th of June? Yeah, Joey. It is. Yeah. No point for that. That's a point, come on. <laughs> no point for that, I'm afraid, Joey. But something else that happened on the 13th of June in 1922, so a few years before you were born, I'd say, Joey, the longest recorded attack of hiccups began. So uh, this, this guy called Charlie Osborne from the United States of America hiccuped between 20 and 40 times a minute for how many years? Closest to the pin. Joey. Uh, Joey. We'll say four years. Four years is incorrect, but it is closest to the pin, so you could still get the point. Patrick, what do you reckon? Uh, three. Three years. Why not? Three years is also incorrect, and I can reveal that the answer is 68 years. So... Joey, that's the point. <laughs> I was a bit off there. I was a bit off. Yeah. <laughs> well, Poor yeah. Blow. That's a, that's a horrible low. <laughs> it might be fair to say that uh, Joey, maybe not quite deserving of the point there, but he gets it anyway. <laughs> uh, old uh, Charlie Osborne, he had it for 68 years, finally got rid of it, and sadly he died 11 months later. So didn't get to live much of a life without the hiccups. Uh, but we'll, we'll move to question two. Joey is 1-0 up. So... This question is, what is the stage name of the actress whose real name was Frances Ethel Gum and is best known for playing the role of Dorothy Gale in The Wizard of Oz? The missus would probably know this. I don't know. Yeah, right. I was a bit <laughs> unsure if one of you guys would get this, if you were maybe uh, 1930s musicals fans, but cl- not, not a chance. Not, not a chance. I, I'll, get, I'll give you a bit of a clue. You might not get it from this, but we'll see how it goes. Of course, Joey's initials, JG. This person is also a JG stage name. Okay. If I say their first name is if I say their first name is Judy, would you be able to get that? Okay. I think we're we're displaying a very kind of masculine uh, knowledge base here on this episode. I can give it a uh, pat, I'll give um, it a crack. Yeah, okay, okay, Pat. Is it is it Garland? got no idea. That is a complete guess. Garland. Judy Garland is absolutely correct. Oh, okay. There you go. There you go. I've given it to you on a plate a bit now, I must <laughs> say. But you, <laughs> Thank you for the, the, 
<laughs> it's the it's the one v one, and you've slid it across the box for me to tap into the open goal. But a goal is a goal. A point is a point. <laughs> yeah, well, you you both got some uh, fairly fairly kind of cheap points there, but uh, it, it's one all. It's one all. So level level scores here. We'll move on to question three. So Joey, the team you played for in Hong Kong called is called Taipo. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. Okay, Taipo, and of course. Uh, that also might be known as a, a typo, uh, kind of, of course, mis- misspelling something in a, in a text or a message or anything like that. So very common typo is the two and two and two, T-O, T-O-O, T-W-O. So I'm going to give the point to whoever can define the three twos. Um, oh. um, <laughs> hat? Okay, I'll, I'll give it a go. Hat? So T-W-O, the number two. Yep. <laughs> T-O is just saying to Joey or to Harper. And then T-double-O is like, oh, I have that too. You know uh, what? Is that all uh, I need? Uh, yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll give it to you. It's all you need. The standard hasn't been too high so far, so we'll give you the point. <laughs> <laughs> Very nicely done. It's gone 2-1 up. Uh, so, but we've got two more questions, of course. We'll move on to question four. So, uh, I believe uh, you signed with the Wanderers, or you, the announcement of the signing with the Wanderers, uh, Joey, was on the 3rd of October, 2012. Patrick, you're a Wanderers fan as well, so maybe this kind of links to both of you, very, very loosely. So, I'm going to read out the lyrics to the song that was number one in Australia on the day of your Wanderers signing announcement, the 3rd of October, 2012. So, you can buzz in okay. whenever you'd like, uh, but once you buzz in uh, you're, and get it wrong, you're gone. So you just got to give me the name of the song. And here are the lyrics. Naji nuda saro un inga jo gim yoja. Kopi hajana yoyu ana punto inun yoja. Bani onya shinjanki tugawa shin yoja. Joey. Early. That's um that Korean song. Oh, it's uh, <laughs> something. Oh, <laughs> I, was I can keep going. Um, I can keep going if you want, and you can buzz in again. Gangnam. Would you like me to do? I'll do it. Uh, Gangnam something. Gangnam style. Is it Gangnam style? Uh, I, I might have heard the part now, <laughs> giving you the answer there. But <laughs> 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 Come on, Gav. Well done. <laughs> Not, nicely done, Dad. Get off Google. <laughs> I remember at Wanderers Games back in that first season, they would have yeah, they, like yeah, a Gangnam yeah, style cam, that. and there would be fans. Doing that, and they'd go around and they'd do the. the yeah, dance. yeah, I remember, I remember that, that too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, uh, a big thank you to Gab, your partner Joey, for letting yeah. me off the hook, not having Gab to read any more point, lyrics, yeah. not not having to read any more lyrics in Korean. Because uh, that you did well, though. you did well. <laughs> I, I must say, I. I was kind of practicing it a bit last night, working out the, the English <laughs> pronunciations of all the words. Um, but anyway, fluent in Korean. Five. Huh? Yeah, um, <laughs> I wish. But um, move to question five. It's two all. You're locked at two each. Oof. But question five, there's potential to win big here because it's a who am I question. I'm gonna uh, give you a series of clues, all leading to who I am. Start with a five point clue, going all the way down to a one point clue. So uh, once you buzz in and get it wrong, you can't buzz in again until the other person gets it wrong. I'll start with a five-point clue. So I was born on the 13th of June as well, but in 1975 in Sydney. Neither of you need to get it there, so I'll move on to the four-point clue. Mm. I debuted for the Socceroos against Bahrain in an Asian Cup qualifier in February 2006 
and four months later, found myself in the Socceroos squad at the World Cup in Germany. Joey? Um, Joey. Oh, this is, I could be totally... Is it Scott Chipperfield? Scott Chipperfield. Let me get a bit of a John roll going. It's incorrect. Yeah, okay. Right, <laughs> Don't okay. Know why I thought of that. I just, I just felt it. <laughs> Patrick, it's all yours now, so unless you okay. get it wrong... All right. You, you're looking good here, mate. And uh, I've, I've got to play it before, but I'm gonna hit. There's a bit of a "Who Am I?" question music, so I'll, I'll hit that now. Okay, for three points, I plied my trade at various NSL clubs and had short stints with European sides in the late '90s and early 2000s, before finally settling at Sweden's Hammarby, where I played 121 games. Pat. Pat. I think I've got. Um, is it Ante Kovic? Ante Kovic will get another drum roll going. Joey, what do you reckon? Do you reckon it is Ante Kovic? I'm trying to think if we had the same birthday. Oh, crap. I didn't think of that, actually. Oh, no. Yeah, I'll, I'll say, yeah, I think so. Uh, okay, okay. So. we. I think, yeah, maybe. If Pat's oh, got it here, he's won it by three points. And I've, I've kind of let the tension with the drum roll go, so I'll do another drum roll. <laughs> <laughs> the answer is Ante Kovic. Oh, there you go. Very, very nicely done. And Pat has taken out the quiz. <laughs> Five points to two. Well done, Pat. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyone anyone uh, you'd like to dedicate that win to? It's, that was a very good performance at the end there. Not the start I so much. Like, <laughs> we'll ignore the start and us failing to know the hiccups and the... <laughs> Wizard of Oz, but I, I'll dedicate this win to the great people at Kick360 and go and find some wonderful Australian football content, especially as the season is about to, about to start very soon. There's going to be lots of excellent content on there, so go check the writing from yours truly, also some other amazing writers, Tom Williams, Jack George, just to name a few. So, yeah, go check us out there. Yeah, it's a cracking website. I've got a few pieces up there myself. If anyone wants to check that out, you stole my thunder a bit there, Pat. But uh, sorry, that, mate. thank you. Sorry. <laughs> That's all right. But uh, Patrick, thank you very, very much for joining me on joining us on the quiz uh, and taking it out. Thank you very much, Matt. No problems. Thanks for having me. And Joey, but I'm uh, we, <laughs> we, we've we've got it's been a long chat. It's been a very, very good chat. So thank you very much mm. for joining me as well, Matt. Oh, it's been a pleasure, mate. I really enjoyed it. It's been good. That's good. And just to the listeners, of course, it's Monday today when this episode comes out. Tuesday, Australian time, we're thinking at the moment. Time zone's a bit weird, but Joey's going to do an Instagram takeover on the Where Do We Begin Instagram story at WDWB pod. You can ask questions, do whatever you'd like. Joey, see how it goes. So check that out if you'd like uh, content at wheredowebegin.com.au as well if you'd like to have a look at that. And... That's just about it from me, just about it from all of us, I reckon. So thank you for tuning in to the show for another week. Uh, it's been a pleasure talking to you. been a pleasure having you, Joe, on the show and you, Pat, joining us for the quiz. So thank you very much for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Naji nuda saro un inga jo gim yoja. Kopi hajana yoyu ana punto inun yoja. Bani onya shin janki tugawa shin un yoja. Joey, ban jon inun yoja. Arundawa, Sarang Sudowo, Kurenow, Gurbarunow, Arundawa, Sarang Sudowo, Kurenow, 
Don't touch the boy, you little C word. What went wrong? What went wrong? What went wrong? In Hong Kong? Kevin, 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 Kevin Luskett said, don't touch the boy, you little C word.